it's Chris Ryan, and we're ready to tell the damn story. So, yes. Alex Simmons. Yes, we yes. We find I'm, ourselves. I make up on. Hold on. Okay, I look better. Yes, what were you saying? While the entire world is getting ready for the Super Bowl. Yes, yes. You and I. Yes. And anyone who's listening or watching, what are we doing? We're talking we're about. Talk about. Tell right. a damn story. That's right. So, hey, listen, there's a little something for everybody. If you watch the Super Bowl, I hope you uh, hope your numbers came out, or I hope you liked the way it came out. Popcorn, all that no good stuff. Rewrites, no rewrites of the Super Bowl, but in getting creative and telling the damn story, we can indeed uh, do that. Well, because it's already over or whatever. When you hear this, you can go watch a football movie. So there you go. All right. So listen, yeah. um, the Super Bowl may be today, but you had a big event yesterday. Yes, you yes. Want to I, talk about it. Nice segue there, bro. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Segways uh, are my business. Yeah. For those of you who know anything about moi, um, one of my initiatives, one of the things that I co-created with my buddy um, Eugene Ryan. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Eugene Ryan. I'm I'm, Hi, now- I'm Eugene <laughs> Ryan, and so is my sister. All right. <laughs> Adams at Bronx Community College is for the past uh, 13 years, going on 14 this year, as a matter of fact. We've been doing Kids Comic Con. And so yesterday was not the Comic-Con itself, but a fundraiser for the Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. It was the first first ever KCC wheelchair basketball fundraiser. Hey. And it was held a marvelous high school in the Bronx called University Heights High School. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you very much, University Heights. Everybody there, Eric and Hazel and, and, the, and the security people. And, and then thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to... Um, oh my goodness, wow. The Wheelchair uh, Basketball Sports Federation to Jimmy Jeffries, who organized all this. And we'll tell you about that later. But um, And also to the the wheelchair basketball team that came, which is the Boulevard Nets. That's oh, right. Wow. It's a team okay. of people, different ages and everything, all wheelchair, you know, challenge and all that. But you wouldn't see a challenge. <laughs> oh God, they creamed this. <laughs> they went up against the KCP <laughs> and they creamed this, but... Beauty of Casey's <laughs> The beauty of it. First off, there's like five young men. I'm not going to tell a long story here. But there's five young men, five or six young men who are basketball uh, um, students there at the high school. And then there was some staff members, uh, Jasmine and Crystal and several other teachers who jumped on there. One of the security guards, because, you know, it's only five on the court at a time. So they trade right. it off. And all of these people do not normally move around in a wheelchair. So right. they had... They had like 20 minutes or so to get used to that. And then they were out there. Uh, but it was great. The spirit was great. The harmony was great. Um, everybody had a really great, great, great time. And we'll talk more about that. So that was yesterday. And I was exhausted. And I stumbled home and called you or wrote to you and said, I'm exhausted. I'm going to bed. You know, well, we'll talk- actually, actually, <laughs> you said we'll be going to bed shortly. And uh, <laughs> I know we had gotten to that level, to tell you the truth. <laughs> oh, Chris, I told you I love you, man. I love you. Well, there we go. My my wife, the goddess, is going to be very upset with you, Alex. But, I know she liked me, uh, but that's not a, that's another. Yeah, but you know, that was yesterday. She's a little was... territorial. So anyway, that was yesterday. And then when we were getting our notes together this morning, you had said you had done something. Uh, this morning that I didn't realize you were doing, and I thought it would be kind of interesting to talk about. So uh, you did some morning meditation. You want to talk about morning meditation? 
It's funny because when, when you use that word meditation, you know, it conjures up different images for different people. Um, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do this also as quickly as I can. I'm an improvisational kind of person in, in my acting years and in my creative writing years, all of that. I sort of like ideas and things that come to me and I'll, I'll burn the candle at both ends, writing for days to get a story out or something like that. That really works well with some projects, but after a while you are literally, you're, you're a meltdown. Sure. And you know, you just, you know, everything's coming at you. It's fragmented, it's not organized. You're stressed out because you've got deadlines and you know, life happens and all that. And I began to realize as I get older, that's not fun anymore. <laughs> you know? True, it, true, true. Exciting to see how do I work my way out of this, like a cliffhanger. So I realized I had to center myself more. I had to really give myself some time to check in with me, some time to look at what I need to do, what are my goals, what are my needs, what what are my problems that you know I need to approach differently. And I found that giving myself some time in the morning, this is on recommendation of a number of people I've been reading, some uh, mentoring coaches and things like that, but like uh, Hal Elrod and and uh, James Clear and some of these others, giving yourself some time in the morning. Like, when, you know, a lot of people hop out of bed, boom, they, they, you know, right into it. They're, they're on their phones, checking their email, or they're, they're racing to go to work or to school or whatever. Just instantly you're, you're in the, the, the heat of it, which means you have no time to check in with you. So what I started doing is giving myself minimum, unless I'm, you know, something comes up, minimum a half an hour, usually an hour, and I do a certain amount of, of uh, listening to myself, you know, so it's not prayer so much, although some people do that, but it's quiet time. There's a certain period of just listening to yourself. You're breathing mm -hmm. and you're letting the thoughts come forward and whatever happens, if it's something you want to throw down on a pad, you quickly throw it down on a pad, but you don't focus on it, you don't try and solve it then. Just breathe and hear what's going on in your head and in your heart sometimes. And I do that for a certain period of time. I do some exercise, I do some reading. Uh, again, depending on what, you, you know, what you're into, you can read uh, self-help, you can read a novel, you can read um, something funny, you can read the Bible, you can read whatever you're into. But I do some reading and I do a little bit of journaling, you know, put down my thoughts for that day or for that moment. And it's my time, and it really does help me focus. It gives me time to look at where I am, where I've been, where I believe I'm going, and sometimes, brilliantly, I might add, what hey. I need to get where I want to be. So, uh, yeah, I started doing that in different ways for the past year or so, but in the mm -hmm. past uh, three months, I've had a really nice routine that seems to be helping me quite a bit. That's very cool. That's very cool. So, so is it, uh, do you have this, uh, one particular place that you sit, uh, in or is it, does it matter? Does the space matter for you? It, 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 it's funny because again, before I sort of began following this particular routine, um, I would get up in the morning and I would immediately go to my desk. It's not to work, but I would go to my desk cause it's not my bed. That's <laughs> all mm -hmm. so, okay, away from the bed. I would go to my desk and I would do some quiet meditation and then I would have a sheet of paper at my desk with a pen, unlined paper, and I would brain dump, you know, and I've talked about that with you before. Whatever is on my mind, personal, professional uh, ideas, whatever it is, drop it on the page. Don't right. focus. 
And I would do that for a certain period of time and then later go back to it. So it's always at my desk. This routine, uh, because I've added exercise to it. So that was not your meditation. So what is your meditation routine? Well, my meditation routine now is I get up, um, I do my ablutions, you know, I go to the, the facility. No, no, no. I, 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 give me an example about ablutions. Well, okay, so I get up without extreme detail. I go to the bathroom, you know. I That's take your ablution. <laughs> your morning ablutions. Yeah. Uh, okay, you do that. <laughs> Brush your teeth. You splash right, water. So you get yourself things. ready, right, right, right. Yeah. Drink some water. Hydrate. All that. And then it's and I can play with the sequence a bit, but it's um, sometimes I will have that quiet time first for like five or ten minutes, depending on you know whether it's a half hour or an hour I've given myself for this time. Mm-hmm. Um, I have the quiet time of just breathing and listening to myself. Then I will read for a little while. Um, now, I, and the, now is, is there a limit to what you'll read? I mean, do you read like, uh, um, you know, thoughtful sayings or do you read fiction or do you read self-help? What, what is it that you... I, I personally, and again, some of this is the, the miracle morning that uh, Hal Elrod created uh he wrote a book it was a best-selling new york times and he wrote a book about this years ago um but also some of it is is a collection of things from james clear and from okay. some of the other people that i've dealt with but either way so it goes to this effect for me i don't want to read fiction because that's somebody else's thoughts and stories in my head before i've had a chance to listen to my own okay so what i will do is if i'm going to read before i have maybe this five minutes or ten minutes of brain dumping, all right, or mind mapping, I will read something along the lines of good quotes. Um, uh, like I've been reading James Clear's book on atomic habits. So I'll read a few pages of that, but I'll read for a set period of time. So it's informing me on a nonfiction level. Um, and I'll do that. So I try not to read uh, okay. anything. All right. So then you do the reading and then the, you close the book and what happens? After that, there's um, usually, again, mind mapping. So I'll drop my ideas on this sheet of paper. No no list. It's just random on the page. No order intended. That's freeing me up so that my mind goes, you don't have to fight to hold on to these thoughts now. They're on there. So that's another reason why I can relax, because the early morning ideas are down somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of times, sometimes we, we, we stress on... You know, you have a bunch of ideas. Maybe somebody comes in to talk to you about something, and then you, oh, damn it, what was I wanting to do? What did I have to do? What did I want to think about? What was that line? It was a great line I needed for my story. I just try and get as much down on the page as possible within a certain specific period of time. Then I do physical exercise for 10 minutes, um, you know, because, again, I'm, I'm not as felt as I used to be. Yeah. Uh, so I do that, and it wakes me up even more. You know, I feel more energized and powered. Uh, there is a period of affirmation because I think, you know, uh, not to get into this as a psychologist or anything, but a lot of the creatives I've dealt with, both kids and adults, I mean, regular folks do it too, people who are in the business or tech or whatever. But a lot of the creatives in particular, we doubt ourselves. You know, we, we create something. Maybe we've been doing good. Maybe we're actually professional and we're getting paid for these assignments and everything. But then we go to write that next thing. We go to draw that next thing. We go to, you know, compose that next bit of music or choreograph that next dance. And we go, oh, gee, I don't know. Gee, maybe, you know, you know, maybe I, maybe I, maybe I conned them the last time. We get that that imposter syndrome thing going. And so one of the things we need to do is remind ourselves that, yeah, 
you did do that right before. You've done this before, or that last piece was great. Or maybe it was good, and yeah, you can make it better, but you're not a complete screw-up. Mm-hmm. You know? So some of that affirmation time is about reminding myself what I have accomplished, the good that I've done, and not feel like it's an ego stroke. It's not. It's just reinforcing I'm on the right path for me. Okay. So then what do you find as the... Um short-term and long-term uh, results or benefits from this? Short-term is every morning, I, by the time I finish this, I'm energized. I'm mentally energized. I'm physically energized. I feel better about myself as an individual, not as a superstar, anything, just as a human being, I feel good. So that's mm-hmm. one. Two, long-term-ish, um, I, I, I have a list by the end of this. Each morning I have a list of things. I either wrote it the night before or I write it after I do my, my meditation and all of, of what I need to accomplish that day or what I want to accomplish that day. Oh. And it's a lot of fun being able to check it off you know, as I go mm-hmm. along. That's a, an affirmation of progress. Right. So long, long term, normally with me, anything involving exercise... <laughs> Or routine. Remember, I said I'm an improv kind of guy. Uh, mm-hmm. Routine starts to feel like, oh, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting sort of like rigid, and ah, I can't shoot it. And so I'll I'll blow it off after a couple of weeks. You know, right. uh, it's like the membership at the gym. How how many times do you go? Some people religiously, and other people, eh. So with this long term, I've been doing this now since oh, November fifteenth. Okay. Haven't missed a day. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So there is something in terms of consistency, feeling better. And to quote James Clare, uh, and although he's quoting somebody else, it's the aggregation of 1% improvement every day. So every day I get just that tad better at what okay. I'm doing. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I hope uh, some of our listeners find that um, helpful. And um yeah, they do a morning meditation or they do an afternoon or they do some kind of routine that they feel really helps them as creatives. We'd love to hear about it, you know, and there's the comment section below and uh, let us know. Let us know what you think. Let you know, maybe give Alex some advice um, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> since you mentioned that, let me also thank the people who really enjoyed our last two episodes and, and made a point of writing in. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm glad that it it or they meant something to you or gave you something to utilize or inform or whatever. And, you know, please keep telling us what works. You can even tell us what didn't work for you. But, well, you know, well, keep the communication. Remember in general, can you share in general what they, uh, what they no. said? Was it positive, negative? Was it listen? You know, that guy, get that other guy out of there. What I mean, what do they have to say? <laughs> <laughs> now that you mention it, no. no Listen, uh, <laughs> really, really what happens is every now and then, and I, and I don't know what it is, again, not a therapist here, but every now and then we, we seem to strike a bell with, with folks and they get all excited and they share with us. That's good, yeah. They share to the point, to a limited point. So they will say something like, um, we had a few comments about when we asked the question, what is what is your toughest challenge as a writer? And a lot of people structure. Now, they didn't oh, elaborate yeah. on it, but right, they right. dropped that word. There was a couple of plots, and one 
there was one character, you know, which I find interesting because I, I think uh, for me and for some of my students, uh, character is key. And I know that a lot of my students wrestle with that initially, initially. But yeah, so that was one. Um, the other thing is, this, you know, people, the, this last batch in particular, seem to be uh, stimulated by us showing some A to B to C steps in the process. Yeah, you know, I don't know, because they didn't elaborate, but I don't know if that meant for them they organically do A and then suddenly they're at D and they're not sure what they should have done in between, or they can go A, B, and then they get stuck in the middle of their story and they're not sure how to get through the middle to the to the end. I'm not right. sure. Please, folks, write, let us know, you know, share. Well, you know, you you know uh, it, it, it just so happened that <sighs> our next episode will offer a um, a solution, maybe not the solution, but a solution about exactly those things. So stay tuned. Come in next week, and we're going to talk about that. But this week on Get Your Right On section Get of right on, right on. story, we're going to talk about um, two things, uh, a difference of style and how it affects uh, how the story goes, right? So we're going to talk about elaborate description versus minimal description and then how it affects pacing, right? So, um, Alex, uh, between the two of us, I think you, uh, especially in the beginning of stories, uh, you favor elaborate description to set everything up. Is that true? Can you talk on that for a little while? You know, it's it's a style thing, and I'm, I'm not sure that I could say that I'm married to it as much as I'm dating it, you know. Okay. Yeah, uh, going steady. Has it been a, a couple of years that you've been? Oh, of course. <laughs> I haven't been yet, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, the, the the thing of it is, I like mood, and mm -hmm. especially in writing period pieces for uh, a population, many of whom are somewhere in their thirties or their forties, maybe. So they don't know. God, they don't even know the era I was born in. <laughs> so to, to write a story about the 30s or 40s, you, you know, people will assume certain things because of their own personal reference. So I feel like I need to give them some background, some some sense of place and color, and sometimes the clothing, uh, because it affects, like, you know, the, the 30s and 40s, people wore hats. Men wore hats. Yeah. And you, you wouldn't see 99% of the people on the streets, you would not see in T-shirts, unless they were, like, stevedores or... You know, working in a warehouse, they might have a right, gene. Right, right. So I think my detailing in terms of stories with, uh, with a period piece, I get a little bit more uh, verbiage going there. Uh, I try not to be word heavy, but I do think I spend more time setting that up. Well, you definitely you, you paint the picture and you give um, one of the things that I always thought about in your style is you. you you put everything in place that needs to be placed, and then, then you shoot the starter pistol, and, and things take off from there. And everything that has been set up will be, you know, that all that, the setting, the place, the, uh, the mood, the day, the time, the weather, all of that will be paid off as, as you start taking off. Um, I'm, diff I'm uh, of a different style. Um, you know, I grew up worshiping... Uh, Elmore Leonard and um, uh, Richard Price, you know, um, 
people like that. And their whole thing is, is pacing. So, um, I paint as minimal or I, I, I describe as minimally as possible and get the story going. Um, I tend to see, but I tend to write with the exception of blackjack. I write in a, a forever present, you know, um, in, in this project we've been now doing now, where we've been re-editing city of woe. One of the things that, uh, one of the things I aggressively took out were things that pinned it to a certain year or a certain time. I want it mm-hmm. to be, you know, the, the, the generic or the general present and, and be about New York city, which is interesting because eventually the comments that I'm making are going to age out. I mean, if you just look at the New York city skyline, it's un- unrecognizable from the one that we grew up with, but you know, yep. uh, so I try, I try to kind of fill in those pieces, but if there's a particular thing that needs to be focused on for that scene, you know, I always think of it as, as the camera, if the camera's going to zoom in on something, then I'll describe it in particular, you know, um, there's a scene in city of woe where, uh, you know, the two detectives come into an apartment they've never been in. So of course they would, they would kind of notice things. And what they notice is there's doilies everywhere. There's this whole, you know, things like cover up, cover up, cover up. And there's a plastic runner, everything, you know, everything's kind of hidden in, in the apartment or try to kept nice in the apartment to a point where it's a distraction. Um, and that was done because the, the emotion of the scene is like a fake pleasant until mm-hmm. it, the people who live in that apartment can't, can't put up the front anymore. And then it snaps. Right. So that, you know, in that way I will focus on something. Um, but I, you know, again, I will do, I'll do it in the draft and in the first rewrite, I'll cut it back. And the second rewrite I'll cut. And I, and, you know, in, in those rewrites, it's, is it needed? Is it needed? Is it needed? You know, have I said this before? You know, if I you said know, it twice, think, which one's better? You know, and that kind of thing. I think that when I do rewrites um, and I've set up an environment the way you described, uh, one of the things that happens is I start to really listen to the characters more in terms of mm-hmm. how I feel they, they speak. And that's where I start to pare things down a bit more because if I find... I've been making the statement rather than the character. I'll go, okay, he wouldn't say that she wouldn't talk like that. Right. Clip, 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 clip until mm-hmm. their voices resonate. And, mm-hmm. and that's, that's one of the things that's important to me. So it's almost like trying to put the, the real character, the real entity into an established environment. Right. And you're, yeah, they're living there and you believe that, or you feel that. And that's one of the things that I try and to then do. I, in in one of those, you know, the first draft is always to get the story out. And the second draft is to make it make sense, right? But then you do a character draft or made sometimes I call it like a master shot where you're mm-hmm. you're you know, say the third draft you're looking at the characters, but the fourth draft you're looking at the the, the scenes in the characters. And around that point, I'm thinking, all right, who's who from whose point of view are we seeing this scene? You know? And would they see it in the way that I'm saying they'd see it, you know, true to the character, true to the character. So, you know, um, 
first draft is is getting it out. Second draft is making it coherent, right? Third draft is does it does everything sound like the character? But that's for me character and action. Oh, excuse me, dialogue and action, dialogue and action. And it's the fourth pass through it. I keep saying drafts, but really everybody should just you know just a pass through it. Don't don't you know? Mm-hmm. I'm not. Yeah, rewriting the book four or five times. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not starting from scratch each time. It's just another pass through it, right? Um, and that's when I start, you know, does it sound, does the novel sound consistent? Does it, does the thing that people are seeing, is that correct for that character to see? Um, and, and then it comes to that second thing that we were going to talk about today, pacing. And, and that can be the healer of wounds mm-hmm. or the, you know, or the executioner's acts, Right. Because if it enhances the pacing, that's beautiful. But if it commits the mortal sin <laughs> of getting in the way of the pace or dragging the pacing down or killing the pacing or making it feel like, you know, uh, every year someone playing on the piano and they're pretty good at the song, but then they hit the wrong chord. <laughs> you know, if, if a moment or a beat in your story is the... <laughs> And that's got to go, you know, whether you love it or hate it, you've got to, you know, you got to, we always say serve the story. Especially with with students. I mean, we learned this the hard way. At least I I know I did. And you've told me stories. Um, Serving the story served you. Forcing the story to serve you doesn't serve either. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's a hard lesson for especially. Oh, yeah. To, to grasp, but yeah, but I, I, I want it to be this way. Yeah, but if it's not good that way, if if you're stepping on your own fingers, back mm-hmm. up a moment, breathe, look at how organically the story works, yeah. and then enjoy that, support that, and then because the story works, it works for you, it works for the audience. Everybody wins. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think the key word there is organic, right? And mm. And to get to organic, yeah, well, let me tell you one other thing. Now I'm going to ask the, sure. just how you get there. So um, I, I read all sorts of stuff, but every time, once in a while, a quote comes to me. So I was reading a bunch of interviews from uh, musicians, right? Uh, it was a book called uh, written, in, uh, written from My Soul, right? And that's a, line, a Bob Dylan line. But it was all these quotes of musicians, all these interviews, musicians talking about musicians. And I read this on my honeymoon with, with the goddess. That's how long ago. And this, this one thing still sticks with me. So one of the interviews was Sting. Well, you love him, you hate him, whatever. Okay. But they were asking him about, you know, what should a bass line sound like? And then he says, look, the best bass line, you don't hear, you feel. <laughs> so if I'm, play, if I'm playing something and I think it, you hear it. I I pull back. I want you to feel it. You know, if you think of the way back, you know, to a police song like Walking on the Moon. There's a prominent bass line in there, but you feel it, you know. Um, so I always took that and applied it to writing, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you're feeling the story and if you're lost in the story and if you're engaged with the characters and don't almost don't even realize if you scroll to the next page or if you turn the page, then it's organic. 
But if you're self-aware, if you can, if you hear yourself saying, hmm, or what was that again? Or, all right, where was that? You know, what did it, whatever happened to that gun or what, you know, then you're not there yet. Right. Mm -hmm. So here's the trick for that. And it's an ongoing thing that we still, you you can look at any of my stuff and say, oh, that doesn't work. Right. Um, Is that Silvio? uh, That was Silvio. Yeah. He's, uh, he's kind of circling me like uh, a shark. I don't know if he approves that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you and not hitting the, the keyboard, you know, but yeah. listen, that guy's, we're going to have to do some contract negotiations. He's just too rough on me. <laughs> so to get to organic, I think there's a, there's a bigger uh, gap that you have to jump or a bigger thing you have to attain. And that's it. learning to be purely honest with yourself, mm. you know, and, you know, for years, you talked to me about being too hard and too self-critical. And I know many people who are not critical enough. So it's, mm. it's a very difficult thing to get in there and, and find a, a way to look at the story for what it is, not what you want it to be, what your ego needs it to be, you know? Um, and, and really, that's the goal, right? If you can get out of your own way and then serve the story, then you, you'll get to that organic and, and the pacing will be right. And the description will be what it needs for that story. And, and then you get, you know, to that goal, whatever your goal is, if it's just Mm -hmm. you, if it's um, something that's um, submittable, something that will stand out uh, from the competition, it's all about getting to that level so that you're not in your own way. I would also mention that one of the one of the factors that I see determines how much effort a person puts into their work is what is that work in the arena of their life. If writing is something they they really want to do and they want to do it well and and and, and maybe they want to be professional, then there's a certain amount of effort they'll put into that. If writing certain types of stories is more fan base. They're enjoying, you know, science fiction. They're enjoying superheroes. They're enjoying romance or whatever, and they want to write their own. Yeah. Okay. And there's again a certain amount of effort that they'll put into that, and that where their head is about the work affects how they hear critique. Because if you really want to become a professional writer, and and you know you're you're fairly clear thinking, you understand there is a process. You understand. There's there's the Padawan, you know, position, and then eventually there's the master's position. And most masters that I know and love and respect, they're still learning. You know, they got it down pat, but they're still learning. You know, they're yeah. still growing from it. So that means you have to be open to continuing to grow. But if you're hard on, no, this is it. I've just done this. It's great. Yeah. And yet everybody's telling you, I'm confused at this scene. Uh, the story drags on too long, or I don't understand the characters, or this doesn't seem, you know, to fit, and you don't want to hear it, then, okay, you're writing for yourself. And just embrace that. Just admit that's what you're doing. I I will also take the risk of saying, and that is often something, if you're you're looking for a a telltale sign, then you need to step back and reflect a little more. If you get defensive about your work 
or mm. if you say this is the way it is and no, you, that you use that as a clue, you know. Now, sometimes people will tell you something and it's not good for the story. Mm-hmm. But if you, you know, if you take in feedback and then can go for a walk or morning meditation or whatever, you know, whatever you do is your process to work through what, you know, the feedback you got without being defensive, but also with being objective. So does that help the story? How does it help the story? You know, then you go. So many people that... You know that, and I, again, there's there's a, a billion people who have gone further, and so I'm still on the journey myself. But there are so many people mm-hmm. I know who shoot themselves in the foot by saying, "No, this is how it is." It I, is. Yeah, right. it, it is. is. That is and how it is. Stay exactly like that. And good luck yeah. to you. You know, but if you want to, if you want to keep growing, if you, you have, you know, it's, that's why it's art. You know, that's why it's art. If And, uh, and I know. would also say, I would even give them uh, a get out of jail free ticket to some degree by saying defensive is not the offender as much as being hostile. Because, yeah, maybe the, the critique hits you and, and you, but, but, you know, and yeah, you want to defend it. You, you, you feel, but see, I came up with this because, and this, yeah, I yeah. get it, I get it. But then, as you say, if you can go, wait a minute, okay, right. let, me, let me think about this. Let me back up. Let me go for that walk. Let me meditate, whatever it is. Let me go see a good movie. And when I'm walking home or coming home, suddenly my mind will be open to, and you hear the critique. Right. And measure, okay, that's different. Because, yeah. Sometimes, and it also depends on who says what they say. Who says because, it, how they say it. I mean, yeah, it's, all, it, it's all part of the process. If yes, you get defensive, if you get, um, you know, an attitude, towards, that's just where you are at the moment. Yeah. As long as you reflect on it later and, and try and look yes. at it objectively. Um, you know, sometimes you hear something, and I have a good friend of mine who is still lobbying for me to put a scene back in the city of well. It's one of her favorite scenes. I love the scene too, but it no longer fits that story. Mm. It's in my extras file and maybe it shows up somewhere else, but you know, what happened in that story sent the story in a different, you know, a different feel and, and wasn't progressing the, the, the narrative at all. You have, you know, and so you it took me a long time to get to, out of the book. I'm so sorry. You took the triple scene out of the book. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> <The triple> scene, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was actually a scene in a morgue, and we still have a scene, but it's it's much shorter. All but right. um, Gunnar was uh, trying to illustrate that um, their suspect was taller, as tall as him, and this suspect was much shorter, or vice versa, whatever it was. So they were on gurneys and he jumped on a gurney and said see and he's leaning towards the side and fell over and pulled the other gurney down so the bodies were down and it's a slapstick but it it was disrespectful to the dead it you know it just so Mm. i love it i love it god bless and i love her very much but i i just couldn't do it you know and and i think that's part of it and i still i still work every day to get to that organic you know Mm -hmm. 
Uh, one of the things I'm finding is a fast, and I mentioned this in another episode, uh, a fascinating exercise. It's, there's a couple of um, uh, website publications that um, they have, like, uh, you know, your first entry into that particular publisher's mm-hmm. website will be uh, short, short fiction, you know, and they want 700 words less. And I'm finding it fascinating to tell a full story in 700 words. And what it does, it's a good, a good quick exercise uh, in that, in what you need to be able to do in the longer form stuff. It's like, what is needed? What's absolutely needed? What's not? You know? And uh, I, I find it helps me in the longer form. Uh, mm-hmm. Just condense and, and, and be... Um, I don't, I don't want to say muscular, but the story has to be, uh, keep, we, we keep the chords, the right chords to yeah. that from back and to keep the, uh, the rhythm of the story going. So, yeah, that's yeah, what I would, I would mention. Uh, and I, I would actually mention the writer's name if I could find it. But as you know, my apartment is being renovated and yeah. uh, chaos everywhere. So I can't find half the stuff I want. But nevertheless, there was a series of um, young adult novels that I had read a few years back. Uh, I think Christopher, oh, I almost had his name. The, the, the author's first name is Christopher. I can't remember his, his second name right now. But his anyway. name is Ryan? No, wait, no, I didn't that on him. Ladies and gentlemen, we're just going to break for a, you know, no, anyway. Um, he wrote these mysteries, uh, teen mysteries, that had a lot of angst in it for whatever the reason was in, in each particular story. And he was so economical in his dialogue and description. I mean, mm-hmm. point of where every page was so streamlined. It was not bare bones, but it was like sleek. Mm-hmm. And I found that fascinating compared to some of the other teen fiction that was out there at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have like five or six of his books. And, and I always think back to that because it was effective. It was yeah. absolutely effective. It made it a quicker read, so I could understand why it would appeal to some younger minds. You know, it's not mm-hmm. a tome of words, you know. It, 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 it spoke to the audience in terms of the story. The speech patterns were closer to what young people were using at that time. It was right. very effective, and I, I thought, you know, once again, we learn, we can learn from different genres and different authors, little things that either reinforce what we're trying to do or actress, actually show us you know, another way. Yeah. Well, I could have his last name now. Well, you keep letting it come to your mind. Well, I'm going to give you another example. Uh, yesterday, I had a whole series of things I was supposed to do. I had some chores that I wanted to do. I, I, I boxed up some books. I wanted to move them in the garage. I wanted to do a few other things. Uh, you know, clean the bathrooms, all my chores. And I said, all right, I'm going to have a cup of tea. Uh, I'm going to read one of these short stories from a guy named Brian Keene. He's a Pennsylvania-based writer. And I listened to The Hard Show with Brian Keene and Defender's Dialogue with Brian Keene and your, your guy, Christopher Golden. And I, I learned a lot from The Hard Show and I enjoy a lot from Defender's Dialogue. So I said, you know, let me sit down and read a Brian Keene uh, short story. He has a new collection out, uh, Blood on the Page, I think it's called. And uh, I read one. Four hours later... <laughs> the tea was cold. I had gone through about half, maybe a little more, of you know. And these were, you know, short, tight, you know, uh, just strong stories that 
I don't read a ton of horror, you know, Stephen King, unavoidable, I, you know, but I don't read a lot. And um, he took me in a lot of different ways. Uh, my mind went, oh, wow, 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 wow. And it was very refreshing and invigorating. Uh, I eventually posted on Twitter that it was one of the best vacations I had in years because I kind of had lost myself in the stories. And it was like, you know, two or three pages, five pages, you know, boom, next story, next story. So, um, I, and there's, there's some things that he does in a subtle way. And I'm like, ah, that's how you can do that, you know, and you always learn and that kind of thing. So, yes, go read all the time. Watch, you know, uh, watch movies. You know, um, I listened to another uh, podcast from uh, Gilbert Gottfried, funny, funny guy. And he and his partner uh, interview very old celebrity people who were from the, you know, from the bygone eras of Hollywood. They love that kind of stuff. And they talk, you know, about all this sort of stuff. So he had recommended a movie that I had never seen. Uh, Albert Finney was in it, Marissa Tomei, Ethan Hawke, um, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Michael Shannon, or, you know, wow, what a cast. Sidney LeMay uh, directed it. So I'm like, wow, wow. And it was called uh, Before the Devil Knows You're Dead. Right? It's from the old love Irish that. saying. I love the title, and I've always loved that fr that prayer or that blessing. Yeah. May, may yeah. you be in heaven an hour uh, before the devil knows you're dead. That's where that yeah. phrase comes from. So, so I'm paraphrasing. But. So um, I watched it, and it was in a, yeah, I watched it this morning. And uh, because Gilbert Gottfried told it, right? Um, and I, Everybody in that movie is great in their roles, and they're great together, and the direction is beautiful. And I, I finished, well, God bless everybody, but I finished the movie unsatisfied. Mm. Uh, there was a couple of things that was really no way with the, you know, and, and there were no, it was, it was like Elmore Leonard without the humor. There were no heroes. They were all horrible people. And when the movie finished with a, you know, with like a, 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 a whiteout rather than a black, right? Fade to black, it was fade to white, right? And there were two major characters, three major characters. I want to know what the hell happened to them. And it was there. Everybody was devastated and all that sort of stuff. I said, <clears throat> but so instructional, right? The, how they do this scenes, all that sort of stuff. What I like, I didn't like, I, I, huge. I thought she was ill-used. She's beautiful, and there's some racy scenes in there. I'm sorry, who, who, who? I missed that. Marissa, Mar Marissa Tomei. Marissa Tomei. She's, Aunt, she's, she's Aunt May right now. In oh. Spider-Man okay. movies, right? God bless. My cousin Vinny, all those different stuff. And she's fantastic in this movie, but they didn't, they didn't give her enough of an arc, you know? Uh, if you're going to open up, they open up the movie with her and Philip Seymour Hoffman going at it. Now, God bless Philip Seymour Hoffman. Great, great, great actor. God rest his soul. Um, not the first guy you think about as someone who should be having wonderful lovemaking scene with Marissa Tomei, you know? Uh, you know, and it... it LeMay did it because he wanted, you know, to to have a statement opening it up, you know, and uh, Hoffman is a taker of all things. So, OK, I can justify that. 
But it, it, I mean, I'm immediately knocked out of the story. It was such a racy scene, and God bless Marissa Tomei. She's a beautiful woman. Um, but all right, how did she wind up with this guy? Why are they together? Why are they? You know, and I and there, I found myself asking so many questions throughout the movie that I didn't have that thing that we were talking about, that organic uh, buy-in, you know? And it's mm. a great movie and, and, and brought up as, you know, uh, uh, you know, you can name anyone in that cast. And they did, uh, it's so, a fascinating piece of work, you know? Tying it into the theme of this show. So, so what I'm saying is that you can learn a lot from reading. You can learn a lot from watching the classics. You know, you watch, say, The Godfather. There's not a dropped scene in that movie, right? As beautiful, you know, the really, you know, uh, an example of beginning to end, everything mm -hmm. fits organically, right? But I think you can learn more from movies that you're frustrated with, you know, or books that you're, you know, you know, uh, my friend Roger used to read, a, um, you know, Stephen King had a period where his books, were, eh, and he used to read the books from uh, Pelham Bay Park in the number six train, way up the very first stop, and he would read it to like 59th Street or 51st Street. And if the book still sucked by then, and he was a fast reader, just before the uh, train doors closed, he would throw it out onto the <laughs> oh, throw it out onto the uh, platform. That would be that would be his editorial comment, right? Oh, so, uh, and, and you know, God bless. There were not many Stephen books. So uh, a lot Stephen of people King books got thrown out of there. Stephen King books. Well, huh? well, insomnia got thrown out of there. That, that book could have killed someone. It was so thick. Um, <laughs> but. Learning, yes, you learn from the masters, but you also learn from the stumbles, you know? Yeah. So I'll think about that movie for the next week, trying to work out what I had problems with, why they didn't work, what questions, you know, and these guys are, every single one of the guys and girls in that performance or in that movie were masters at the craft. I didn't, well, know, I, the, I didn't know the screenwriter, but... Yeah, you know, again, when we think about, you know, uh, again, minimal versus elaborate, um, sometimes, again, we fall in love with writers, directors. We fall in love with the sound of our own voice. We fall in love with the imagery we're creating, and we take it too long. We take it too far. Uh, mm -hmm. And hopefully, you know, you get that in the editing stages, whether you're editing the book, you're editing the film. Someone goes, what the, f what, what how, how, should we go out for lunch while this scene plays? Mm -hmm. You know, and take it back. But if you don't, or in some cases, you put stuff back in you know, that the editors took out, and you're going, ah, that really could have worked just as well without this. Like, no, I want it back in. Then, you know, you pay the price. You know, no, if you're right, right, but either way, you pay the price. That's the you delicate know? dance you need to do. You know, that's, you know, the combination of uh, discipline and honesty and serving the story. You need to do all of that together in that delicate dance to... And and tell the damn story. Yeah, and I was just gonna, yeah, she gave me the cue there, and I almost missed it. Uh, <laughs> one one of the things that I often tell my students, uh, in in particular in screenwriting, but also in in working, I'm now coaching uh, some people, uh, some students in uh, writing uh, stories. Mm -hmm. I always ask them to really be careful of falling in love with with the sound of their own voice. 
in in not only yeah. in the length and breadth of the stories they tell, like there's they're 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 just telling this really long going with the wind story because they love writing or they love this you know some of the cool words they've come up with the phrases they've come up with, but if it doesn't serve the story, then what you've done is you've expanded something that would have worked much better at a, at a quarter or a third or a half shorter. The other end of it, it of writers. right? The other end of that same thing, falling in love with the sound of your own voice, is when the characters all sound the same. Mm -hmm. That means they all sound like you. And you mm -hmm. haven't really spent enough time with them to hear them, so then you can reflect them. And then you start in a conversation, you hear as a reader or as the audience in the film, you hear the difference of their background, their ethnicity, their beliefs, whatever else fills that person up with personality. And I think that, you know, that's another thing. Certainly, you and I've talked about this. When you're going through your revisions, it's one of the places that we look to pare things down or to yeah. see if it needs to be pared down. Because once again, yes, I can be eloquent. Not all the time. I you know, <laughs> no, you know. Um, I've been interviewed recently a few times, and I sometimes hear myself in my head. I'm going, okay, make this this next answer shorter. You know, you know, there's so much you could share, but you know, no, just just tell them this much. And if yeah. they keep asking for more, that's something else. But then I'll start to hear, you know, um, how can I say this a little bit quicker? You know, because again, you don't want to make this long, oversized speech when a few words would be far more impactful. Now you're talking about over, you know, overwriting is really what we're talking about, and how it affects pace <clears> and how it's one of the big sins of serving the story, right? Uh, that goes not only for description, but also goes for dialogue. Um, or, uh, in City of Pain, there's a scene that is uh, that I really need to apologize to the public for, anyone who read that book. Um, Mallory and Gunnar talk for about a page longer, maybe a page and a half longer than they need to. And it's because I was in love with the, the, the wisecracks and all that sort of stuff. And it was a strong lesson for me. I mean, this book was you know, already out independently. So you, know, you have that option to pull it back. But that's not, that's not an excuse. You, know, you really can't use that as the safety one. But um, yeah, you got to watch that. Yeah. Uh, another thing, another thing when, you're, when you're ready and you want someone else to read it, you got to be careful. You know, you all always go to some people you know to read, right? Mm -hmm. But that's there's there's two dangers. One, they're going to be nice to you, and two, if they really know you, they they know the sound of your voice, and you know the cadence and mm -hmm. the word choice and all that. Um, I had a couple of people read. I forget which novel it was, but it says uh, it took me fifty or seventy-five pages to stop hearing your voice. And I took that as, oh, God, the book sucks and all that sort of stuff, you know. But then when someone read it who doesn't know me, it, it never picked up, you know. So you kind of have to have a, 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 a combination, a variety of beta readers. Right. Get out, of, get out of your own way. Let me also, um, if you don't mind, add Please. this other thought about minimize. Another thing that, uh, again, we have to be careful of as writers, uh, especially when starting out, is not putting in enough information. 
Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we know it all up here. We got it. We got the whole story. We got all the background information in our heads. You know, we know it. And so we're writing and we make these leaps of faith that the audience will get this. They'll know what this refers to. They'll understand this remark, blah, blah, blah. And when, like sometimes, I, again, I'll read somebody else's work or I'll read my students' work and I'll go, well, how did we get from here to here? Oh, that's because such and such and such and such. And such. Yeah, but I don't see any of that. I don't mm-hmm. even see it of that here. Well, I didn't want to write, I understand you didn't want to, you know, fill up the page. That's great. But if you hint this or you say that line there, then I have something to tie these two points together. Otherwise, right. it's big open space. So sometimes it's about, yeah, you, 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 you don't want to overwrite. You don't want to blah, blah into oblivion. But you have to make sure that you give your audience enough information to continue on the journey without stumbling or falling right. through a crack, you know. So that's another thing, too, just to be careful. And you get, like you were saying, you get sometimes that kind of feedback from your beta readers when they'll say, you know, I I didn't understand this or I didn't understand that. And then we look at again, what's your reaction? Don't get hostile. You can you can win. But then you got to look at, well, okay, wait a minute. Why didn't they? Can you can you tell me some more about what confused you? Try and try and get them to articulate Mm -hmm. better so you can really hear it. Spend some time, like you were saying, you know, spend some time thinking about it, weighing it, and then you can go, oh, you know what? Yeah, I do see where that is. Yeah, okay, so I can do this. Or if you think it's not valid, okay, that's another, you know, another decision. But, you know, being careful about not putting enough down, enough breadcrumbs or whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. them, help your reader continue on the journey. Yeah, it's that, you know, again, that's where it attains the level of art because it's it's that beautiful balance. Mm-hmm. Right? You mm-hmm. want to not over, not under, but just enough. You know, it's the it's the three bears school. <laughs> <laughs> the three bears school of writing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> now let's go to bed. <laughs> that that could take you your whole life. Yeah. You know? Just only only way to learn is to tell the damn story, right? You got to just right. tell it and tell it again and tell it again. We will continue to do as long as we possibly can. Chris, my man, as always, as always. Great to talk to you. Thank you. And and folks, Chris mentioned at the head of the story, uh, the head of this episode, rather, that you can look forward to the next. Get your right on um, with, what did you say, sir? Well, everyone was talking about how to do this and how to to get this right. We're going to talk about how to do that and, and how... It really pertains to drafts. It will alleviate your worry when you're first writing it. And we'll show you how to, uh, or we'll discuss how to get those things in there eventually. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, the, one of the things I think that stops so many writers is they think the first draft has to be perfect. Mm. You know, I tell this to creative writers, and I also tell this to high school students writing an essay. You know, that first draft is a, it's just it's just telling the, the story or, or, or getting the ideas out. And then you go mm-hmm. back and you get all the pieces aligned the way they have to be. And that's telling the damn story. So next week we will talk about that. We'll talk about red herrings. We'll talk about pacing a bit. A couple of other things like seating. that. Right. Seating, popping those mm-hmm. little things, you know, those little uh, cookies or what do they call them? Uh, um, um in the movies, they talk about, oh, did you catch that that little hint that they gave you, such and such? Right. Uh, but it's 
Sometimes it's breadcrumbs, you know, along yeah, the it, trail. Right? The, the popular phrase, but of course, it's, you know, it's out of my head right now. The other thing you can have to look forward to in another couple of episodes is Twilight Zone. When we'll be talking about Twilight Zone, the old school Twilight Zone, you know, and the new one. And we're hoping to have a special guest, but we're not going to say who yet. We're going to approach this person, you know, possibly kidnap him, tie him to a chair, put a mic in front of him. It won't be Rod Serling. Well, if it is, we are good. (laughs) We are pretty good. That would be amazing. Uh, There you go. (laughs) Yes. So the next couple of episodes are going to prove to be, I hope, not only fun for everybody, but uh, unbelievably informative. So until next time, you know, Chris, as always, thank you for your time, your expertise, your insight. You too, sir. You too, sir. Always learn when I do this with you. Okay. And folks, keep those cards and letters coming. (laughs) That's right. Comments. Give us some more comments. We love it. And thank you very much for the ones you did, did send. So, right. Okay. So everybody, we're out. Chris, peace. Peace.